According to the Bible, it is the truth of first and foremost importance, the very truth by which we are saved if we hold fast and unless we believed in vain. That's right, friends. Today we're talking about the gospel. And so I'm so excited to be back with you again with another episode of the One Accord podcast. And I've got my friends with me again. And so uh, why don't we go ahead and introduce uh, Pastor Eric Love. Pastor Eric, how you doing? I'm doing well, and I'm glad to be here today. You mentioned on our first episode that uh, you were going to have an anniversary soon. And you said you, you needed to not forget it. Did you, did you forget it, or did you remember? Thank the Lord I did remember it. So I... <laughs> I, I dodged that bullet. Well, that's good. Well, uh, it's good to, good to see you again today. And uh, let's go ahead and bring in a guy who would never forget an anniversary, our, our, uh, Greg Churchley. How are you doing this morning, Greg? I'm doing great. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Eric. Yeah, it's good to, good to see you both as we talk about this very important issue of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hopefully, it's something that uh, unifies us, but uh, probably in your experience, I know at least in mine, sometimes this is a truth that actually can divide. And I wanted to start off by telling you guys a, a brief story. This is actually something that happened in my life and it was very early in ministry for me. It's back before I knew either of you guys. And, uh, you know, once I got saved, I, I really wanted to tell people about Jesus. I wanted people to, to know the truth of Christianity. I figured that everybody who was already a Christian already knew all these things. Um, and that, you know, because I was the newbie, I was just the guy who kind of knew nothing, but I figured everybody, everybody else, they, they already know about Jesus. They know this, but the, there were these other people kind of outside of the church that didn't know the gospel. And so I really spent a lot of my time trying to reach them. And then I get into ministry and I'm fairly early on in ministry. And there was this, uh, I don't know if it was an event or a movement or, or something, but it was trying to bring together these local churches to try and reach our area with the gospel. And I was so excited. It was, I, I thought it was like, you know, my prayers were coming true. I thought here is going to be another revival in our day. And so I eagerly uh, jumped in, you know, head first into this, this group and I was participating in all the meetings and I was participating in all the, the um, just all the extravagance of all of it. And over time, though, I started to have some questions being raised. I could hear some different gospels that were being preached. And when I say different gospels, I mean, there was somebody that was really emphatic about the fact that we were going we to save the city. And not necessarily that we were talking about the people in the city, but we were going to save the city itself. Like, oh, crime was going to be gone. Poverty is going to be gone. Everything's going to be gone. The city itself. And, and I learned later that that's actually called the social gospel to many people. And then I heard others that were talking about how everybody's going to get healed. And so I'm like, oh, all right, there's the, the health gospel. And then others are talking about the, everybody's going to be rich and that there's going to be no more unemployment. And I'm like, well, all right, that's the, the wealth gospel. And then there's this, this, you know, all of our relationships are going to be healed. I'm like, well, I don't know. I've been... I know when I came to Christ, some of my relationships were actually fractured. People didn't want to spend time with me. But now they're saying all of our relationships are going to be healed. And, and it just kept going down the list. There was all these different gospels. And so I was sitting at a, 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 a meeting with other leaders, and I almost felt uh, embarrassed to ask the question. But I, I kind of said, hey, you know, can I, can I just ask, what exactly is the nature of the gospel that we are trying to reach the community with. And I got all sorts of different answers. And, um, and early on in my Christian ministry life, that really helped me to realize the importance of defining our terms and, and trying to understand um, what are we really unified in? What are we really talking about? And, and I realized then too, that the, the nature of the gospel that I wanted to be bringing, that I thought I saw represented in scripture, that was actually kind of unacceptable to this group. Like we needed to be on board with all these other ideas that I thought were going well beyond scripture. 
So I share that that story just to kind of uh, prime the pump a little bit for our conversation. And I don't know exactly what you guys would say, but I know in our first episode, we did kind of lay out at least some of our theological backgrounds. And I know that you guys uh, come a little bit more from a Calvinistic lens, a little bit more from an Arminian lens, uh, you know, uh, respectively. And so I'm curious to hear how you guys would answer that question. And so um, well, let's turn it over to you, Eric. I know that you have a, a video on your YouTube channel about the gospel. But if I were to ask you that question or call you up on the phone and say, Pastor Eric, I don't know, what is the gospel? How, how would you answer that question? That's probably the best question. And I think there's a, there's a verse that really, to me, sums up the gospel maybe better than any other verse, although I know that's saying a lot because there's so many different verses uh, pertaining to the gospel. But just to summarize it and put it in its most simple form, uh, 1 Peter 3.18 says this, For Christ also died for our sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. I think if you're going to summarize the gospel, that is probably the best summary to give. The gospel is basically about uh, God reconciling man to himself through the atoning work of Christ, the just dying for the unjust. And uh, so bringing us to God, bringing estranged sinners to God through the finished work of Christ, uh, I think that's that's at the heart of the gospel right there. Paul said I, that he preached the message of reconciliation. So I think reconciliation is uh, kind of the, the, the key aspect. Now, Having said that, and maybe we can talk about this more later, um, the gospel is kind of like a multifaceted jewel. Uh, and um, it so it's about reconciliation, but it's also, it's not limited to reconciliation. And there's, there's different aspects of the gospel. Um, but I think reconciliation really is at the heart of it. And God's offer of reconciliation comes through the gospel. The gospel really is an invitation. It's an invitation to be to be reconciled to God through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, so a person responds to the gospel through repentance and faith once they realize their, their sinful condition. Because the first thing they need to realize before they respond is why they need the gospel. They need the gospel because they've been born into sin. They have a nature that is inclined to rebel against God, go its own way, do its own thing. And every unbeliever is, is guilty of, of sinning and rebelling against God. And, uh, and so that, that, has to be, that has to be changed. So uh, as the Spirit enables the response uh, of the individual, the person responds through repentance and faith. Uh, they become a disciple of Jesus Christ at that time. And they enter into a relationship with God in which they are uh, striving to become like Christ uh, and striving to, to carry out God's will uh, in the world. So again, there's, there's more to the gospel, but I think, uh, I think in a nutshell, that, that's, that's how I would describe the gospel in its most basic form. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that uh, kind of uh, uh, distillation. And of course, the gospel is a very nuanced topic that can uh, and, and really 
requires a lot of unpacking. There, there's so much more uh, to it. But uh, the heart of the gospel being reconciliation, I think, uh, I think you articulated it well. And um, it's interesting. I, I, I think that maybe you're the very first person that I've ever talked to that went to First Peter three as kind of that distillation passage. And so I, I appreciate that. Um, I'm used to people uh, much more commonly going to First Corinthians fifteen uh, as kind of that main uh, that main passage. Um, and so I like that. I um. I, I would add one little caveat, and I, I'd, I'd be curious what your thoughts are on this. You said that God gave uh, Paul the ministry of reconciliation. Um, I think you're referencing 2 Corinthians 15, or not 15, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, excuse me. Uh, do, you, do you think that that was just for Paul, or do you think that that extends to all believers? Uh, no, it, it was not limited to Paul. Um, I believe uh, all Christians you know, have a responsibility to make the gospel known. Uh, so no, it, it's, it's certainly not limited to Paul. Yeah. Actually, I think in, in Ephesians chapter four, where Paul says, God gave some to be, to be evangelists and then apostles and pastors and teachers and things. And then he goes on to say, to equip the saints for works of service. And my question would be, well, what do we suppose God gave evangelists in the church for? Hmm. Well, to equip believers to evangelize. Amen. Uh, that seems to be the most natural way to take it. Yeah. And uh, so I, I believe that uh, that we should be equipping our people to be evangelizing and that everybody should be doing their part to to spread the, the message of reconciliation. Well, I can uh, I can say a hearty amen, and again, I say amen to that. I, I almost feel as if someone should write a book about that passage uh, in Ephesians chapter I think four. someone did at, at one point, if I recall. You know, just in case anybody doesn't know. I, I wrote a book on that very passage. I have to be, to be very uh, passionate about that. Uh, but I, I appreciate that clarification, and I, I didn't want to assume either way. I know that sometimes when people talk about uh, the ministry of reconciliation in Second Corinthians chapter five, that they say that that was only for Paul or for his ministry team. But he, he there, he's right on the heels of that very important um, passage that everybody loves. It makes its way onto a lot of coffee cups and Christian bumper stickers. You know that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Behold, he's made all things new. And part of those new things is that he's given us this ministry of reconciliation. And so a lot of Christians don't seem to realize uh, that I talk to anyway. If you ask them what their ministry is, they say, oh, I work in the children's ministry, or I got the music ministry, or I, I, I'm a teacher, or I'm a servant, or whatever. Very few people go to the ministry of reconciliation as uh, as their their ministry. And so certainly it was given to Paul. I think it was given to all Christians. Any Anyone who is a new creation in Christ has received this ministry of reconciliation. And so I appreciate that, uh, that you weren't limiting it only to Paul. So uh, we are in full agreement there. But Greg, how about you? Uh, so, so again, Eric is a little bit more of the uh, Arminian perspective. I think that some people who who maybe hear him out, though, um, might have expected him to answer differently if you just kind of go by what those terms are. I mean, he talked about the, the Holy Spirit enabling a response, um, or at least being part of that response. He talked about people being born into sin, which sometimes people shoehorn, quote-unquote, Arminians into not, you know, rejecting those things. You come from a more Calvinistic lens. Again, I know you don't necessarily call yourself a Calvinist, but anything in there that you disagreed with, or, or would you uh, add to anything that uh, Brother Eric explained in, in answering that question? What is the gospel? Sure. I, I don't think I have anything that I would disagree with there at all. Um, when I teach my kids the gospel, I, I use, I've, I don't know that if I, I don't know that I found this format anywhere, but I, I give them a, a four-step format. I say, when we talk about the gospel, we talk about God, we talk about you, 
We talk about Jesus. We talk about the Spirit. Um, so we start with God. Um, God is holy and perfect and good and just and righteous. Um, that is who God is, and that's that's the standard by which uh, standard that He set according to His character. And so then we come to you know, we have God, then you. You are not. You are not those things. You've fallen short of those things. Um, then we come to Christ. God, you, Christ, Christ. What did He do? Because you aren't those things, He He came and and died in your place. He lived a righteous and perfect life in your place. Um, and so you have atonement through him. So God, you, Christ, and then the Holy Spirit. Um, through the power of the Holy Spirit, therefore you are called to live like Christ now. Um, you are to be um, reconciled through Christ according to the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and I, I don't think any of that would be contrary to what Eric said. And so I Praise God, we we are preaching and do hold to the same gospel. Well, that is uh, that is an important thing, and so um, you know it it is uh, it's good to hear the way that you guys are are talking, and um, you know I think that the uh, the unity that we're supposed to have in the gospel it really shouldn't be controversial. Um, I know it might be controversial in the world, right? I mean, we say that there's only one name given under heaven by which we can be saved. It's the name of Jesus Christ, that, uh, that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through him. We, When we make these kind of exclusive claims, I understand why those who don't believe this, that they get upset. But when we do believe this, if we call ourselves Christians, and, and Eric, you mentioned that specifically, that we become these, these disciples of Jesus, we learn from him, uh, our language should really be uh, the same as the language that we see in, in Scripture. And so at the heart of the gospel is the truth that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that apart from Christ, uh, we're, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We are without God, without hope in the world, and under the wrath of God and, and living in this terrifying expectation that, uh, that there's no way that we can atone for our own sins. And it's in light of that beautiful thing uh, that we see the righteousness of God and his love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, for the ungodly. And so, you know, the, we have to see the, the terrifying truth of God's righteousness to see the beauty of his love, I, I think. Um, and it, it upsets me. Um, it grieves me when I hear Christians kind of prioritizing other elements other than really, Eric, where you started us off with, the, the, the heart of reconciliation. Uh, for some people, especially someone who doesn't know God, you say, okay, reconcile to God. Who cares? Um, what else do I get? And we start to elevate material things. Uh, we start to elevate things that that we want, and they become a draw card where where we say, "Hey, if you want to believe the gospel, do you, do you want all your relationships to be fixed? Do you, do you want your you want your bank account to look better? Do you want to have a better job? You want a prettier wife? You want more well behaved kids? Like, do you you want all this stuff?" And that becomes the draw card. And I think that sets up an awful lot of people for disillusionment as well, because people come into the church expecting that everything's going to get better, but doesn't Jesus tell us things like? you know, pick up your cross and follow me, that the world's going to hate you because they hated me first. Doesn't he say, like, I didn't, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword and divide even, even households. And so like, if you come thinking that all your relationships are going to get better and you start talking to people about Jesus, I mean, was that your experience? It certainly wasn't mine. Yeah. Let, let me jump in here real quick. And because uh, you had, you had mentioned that, uh, that you were talking to guys and they were saying, well, the gospel is about, uh, being healed and, and, uh, becoming wealthy. And I had said earlier that the gospel is a multifaceted jewel. Uh, health and wealth 
are not aspects of of that that jewel. Uh, so I just want to make that clear um, that uh, yeah, people. I think people so, sometimes try and make the gospel more enticing by offering the kinds of things the world is offering, and I think sometimes people grasp hold of a gospel, maybe the prosperity gospel, rather than grasping hold of Jesus, because this gospel is offering something that the true gospel does not offer. And so, and by doing that, it's, they're uh, creating false converts. And I, I know I've talked to people uh, about this subject and you, know, you talked about your relationships getting better, uh, you know, after you get saved and, and that can be true. That, that certainly can be true in, in some cases, but in other cases, uh, you can uh, make yourself enemies. The uh, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Jesus said, and, and so you know, there's just the gospel doesn't um, doesn't deliver uh, in, in the ways that some people uh, have claimed that it that it that it does. I guess the only thing that I would want to add to that is um, in our attempt to to not sell or to not present a health and wealth or social gospel. Um, we sometimes want to downplay the temporal benefits that we do have. Um, Christ is um, a redeemer of our relationships here on earth. Now, does that require two Christians? Yeah, abs- absolutely. Um, there, there are temporal blessings. The temporal blessings are blessings heaped upon the reconciliation um, of us to the father. So I, I would yeah. want to add that cause I don't want to discount that at all. Um, it's been yeah, no, my I, experience. Oh, go ahead. No, no, please. I'm sorry. I cut you off. No. Uh, so I, w- I was just going to say, um, I haven't experienced in my own personal experience, the, the tension hasn't come between different gospels so much as it's come when you actually tell someone they have to present the gospel. Mm. Uh, when, when you, what I've seen divide, divide churches, divide friends is, okay, now we actually do have to tell people this message. Whoa, 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 slow down. Um, you know, the, I forget who gets assigned this quote, and I'm sure he's rolling his eyes in heaven, but the, you know, preach the gospel always and use words if necessary. St. Well, Francis of Assisi is the uh, one that they I, attribute I, well, to. Well, he's a Catholic, so we'll see, we'll see if he's there or not. Well, um, the interesting thing, I, I've met some Franciscan scholars, I'm not, and so I'll take their word for it, but they said he never said it. But, but even that's if what I've he heard. did... Yeah, even if he did say it, he was a, an avid preacher of the gospel. So whether or not he was preaching the same gospel that we're talking about, I, I suppose that's a question for another time. But if he actually said that, I'm sure that he meant the fact that he preached the gospel in words, and then he lived his life in light of the gospel. It wasn't just something that he he said, and then he lived like everybody else. And so you preach the gospel up front with your words, and then the rest of your life also should support that. It becomes a, a, a living epistle in that regard. And I'm sure that people, you know, uh, Greg, I, I, I don't want to cut you off. I'd like to, to finish where you, uh, where you were going. But I imagine that one of the reasons that people don't like doing that is because they know once they open their mouth and share the gospel, they open themselves to different kinds of scrutiny from people in their lives. You share the gospel with coworkers, they're looking at you all the time. Let's see if you gossip. Let's see if you talk about the boss like everybody else. Let's see if you, you know, uh, use some colorful language if you stub your toe on the desk when you're walking by. I mean, they, they begin to evaluate you in a different way. And so if you take that quote, which whether or not St. Francis of Assisi ever said it or not, if you share the gospel, preach the gospel and use words when necessary. They're necessary up front, but now 
the rest of your life ought to represent the truth of this transformed life that you are claiming that others can have if they believe the message that you've presented to them. So I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, that you, you were going somewhere with that and I jumped in on you. So sorry. Yeah, about that. yeah no problem at all. Um, so yeah, I'm sure that play the, the burden that representing Christ places upon a believer. I'm sure that's part of it. Um, I imagine that if we were to sit down and talk to 50 people who believed or, or who operated on that, share the gospel without using words, I'm sure they would have lots of different things to say. So I don't want to pigeonhole everybody into, into having that view. Um, but it is a very safe place to fall back to because sharing the gospel is scary. Um, c- coming out and telling someone that God is holy and you're not, therefore repent and believe, it is. It's always been a bold message. It's always been a confrontational message. Mm-hmm. And most people by nature, um, by disposition, don't want to be confrontational. Um, yeah, My no, wife you, tells you... me I'm, I'm very confrontational by nature. So, <laughs> so yeah, you're, you're that oddball. I know yeah, I'm... Uh, I, I've spent a lot of time uh, witnessing and going into the world proclaiming this message. And, and certainly um, when I talk to a lot of people, they go, oh, well, you just enjoy it. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm actually an <laughs> introvert. I, I don't ever want to leave my house. I don't even want to turn the lights on. I like to... Uh, I'd much rather live like a monk, live in a cave or something than go and talk to anybody. But I'm compelled because as I was saying to Eric, I I believe that as I read 2 Corinthians 15, I keep saying 2 Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15 is the gospel, 2 Corinthians 5. As I read 2 Corinthians 5, I've been given this ministry of reconciliation. And so I want to be faithful in this this message. And And the love of Christ compels us to do so, It compels us. Yes. And so there's this idea, right, that... that, uh, that I, if I say I love people, uh, if I say I love God, then I ought to obey what God says. And, and one of the things he tells us to do is to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all of creation. Um, and so, uh, you know, Greg, you, you bring up a lot of good points and I appreciate that. And, and the gospel is good news. And I don't, um, I think that sometimes people get so, um, so heavy on sin, so heavy on unrighteousness, so heavy on condemnation that they do lose some of the benefits. And so I understand where some of these other, I'll call them other gospels, where they come from, where they kind of overemphasize, I think, the, um, the material benefit. But one of the things that I think um, that I would maybe add a caveat to what you're talking about, um, and I don't think that you'll disagree, but I'll let you, I'll let you tell me if you, if you think that this is off in the weeds. Um, but I think that you know, the Bible is clear that whatever I lose in coming to Christ, I gain much more. Um, not even in the world to come. Like, uh, you know, I, I had family members that wanted nothing to do with me when I came to Christ, but I gained an even greater family in the church. However, to a worldly person, if, if you go up to someone who's still dead in their trespasses and sins and say, hey, do you want to have some of the most important relationships in your life be be ruined and you can gain a new relationship with people who uh, sit in that stuffy building and sing hymns about the blood of Jesus? They'd go, uh, no, I don't want that. Um, because I needed to be born again to appreciate the fact that you guys, as my brothers in Christ, are a great family to gain, even though I didn't know you guys when I first made that profession of faith. And the the the, the friends, the guys that I you know, viewed as brothers who were um, largely involved in the same sinful lifestyle I was in, as, as, as we parted ways, that was very painful. And if anybody would have said to me, hey, Joe, you want to lose all your friends? I would have gone, no, of course I don't want to do that. Like, that's a, te- that's a terrible thing. But, but it is true. Sign me I up. have gained much more than I You don't know my I friends. Lost. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I've gained much more than I lost, but it wasn't, 
if somebody had tried to use that as the draw card, I would have been disillusioned with Christianity. And so the truth of scripture is, is real by experience. But I guess, how how do you respond to that? Like, I I mean, using these worldly things to say, well, you're going to have more money. Well, maybe not, maybe you'll be poor, but you can be content without, with less. You don't need to have the new house, the new car, the new family to be happy. Like you can be thankful in all circumstances. Yeah, for sure. Don't hear me say that it's not going to cost it. It, it will cost, um, but I count that cost as nothing that, um, yeah, absolutely. Um, this, this is not an easy journey. It's not an easy path. Um, you will be called to lay your life down and, and it will hurt a lot. Um, and, and maybe even often, um, but there are comforts, there are blessings and, and, and I'm, and I'm not talking about bank accounts. Um, when I say that. Yeah, no, uh, Eric, you, you have any thoughts on that? I mean, what, uh, the, the benefits and the blessings of course are, are beautiful and great, but, uh, they're different than the ones that maybe appeal to a, a person who's, uh, still fleshly and carnal. Sure. I think of the, the parable of the lost treasure where Jesus says there's a man, he, he goes and, and finds this treasure hidden in a field. And he, apparently he, he couldn't afford to, um, he couldn't take the treasure because he didn't own the field it was buried in. So instead what he did was he went and sold everything that he had and used the money to buy the field so that he could obtain the treasure. And of course, the treasure is the kingdom of God. And the idea there is that whatever it costs to to obtain the kingdom, uh, the, the benefits so far outweigh the cost. It's It's worth it. No matter what you have to give up, it's worth it. And I think that's important. And as you said, the gospel is good news. It's not, it's not meant to, uh, to simply scare people to death. Uh, and I think some people have almost weaponized the gospel in, in a sense where it's, it's just all about condemnation. It's all about escaping hell. Now, is that, are those true things? Are people condemned and, and on their way to hell? Well, of course they are. But, you know, it's interesting that if you, if you read the sermons of the book of Acts. Uh, yes, they bring up judgment, but more so what they talk about is the fact that God is offering reconciliation, that the kingdom of God is available. The doors are open to all, and you just you have to enter those doors through repentance and faith. And that was their message. It was it was a good message. Uh, it was a you know a happy message, if yeah. you will. Um, so I think we we really need to we really need to not just become obsessed with uh, the hell and, and, and condemnation aspects of the gospel, but focus on the entire yeah. gospel. I was out, uh, I was sharing the gospel one time and I, there's a Christian music festival here in Muskegon. And so we were at this Christian music festival, sharing the gospel with people who would, would call themselves Christians. And, you know, kind of our opening line is, you know, Hey, you're a Christian. Um, can you tell me how to get to heaven? And, um, was having the conversation with this this young man, and oh, this might have been a decade ago. He would have been in his twenties, so he was a young man to me. Um, but we got done, and he kind of charged me with, "Well, you know, I think you're you're looking a little bit too much to the reward. You know, a little bit too much to heaven. You're placing too much emphasis on that, um, and not enough emphasis on I, I forget what he thought I should be focusing on instead. Um, and so." I took a while to really consider that, you know, is, is the idea that I get to spend eternity with God 
something that I'm focusing too much on. Like, man, I, I don't know how, I don't know how that's possible. Um, dwelling in the presence of God for all of eternity, worshiping him along with the saints and, and the fully realized blessings that come along with that. Um, man, I don't know how to overemphasize yeah. that. That's, that's a, that's a good, really good point. Cause I think if we, if we just emphasize hell, you know, if it's all about just avoiding hell, then, fire insurance. Yeah. Then the motivation becomes not, you know, obtaining God, not obtaining a, a relationship with God and, and being with him forever, but just escaping hell. So what you emphasize be, becomes or it affects the motivation of the people who respond. Well, think about think about the and this ties into what we were talking about earlier about the reluctance that many Christians have to participate in this ministry of reconciliation, which I believe God has given to all who are these new creations in Christ. And when you think about the fact that we once were separated from God, but then because we've believed upon the the Messiah, the Christ who's come into the world for this very purpose to reconcile us to the Father, to give us of the Holy Spirit that we might be partakers of that divine nature, that we could become children of God and ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven, that then we now live for this purpose. That's the abundant life that we've been called to. And so, you know, it's not just about, yeah, fire insurance and avoiding hell, although that's a huge aspect of it. And of course, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. We certainly need to flee from the wrath that is to come, but we enter into life now and so now we walk in this abundant life that Jesus promised. We walk in this newness of life that the scriptures call us to. And many Christians, they're, they're not interested in that. They, they, they do want to kind of add on church attendance, maybe add on a ministry. And, and, and we've set the bar like in our, our culture. Maybe your guys' experience is different. So if you think I'm stating this too strongly, you know, you, you tell me. But we've almost made it like that the, you know, these, these super elite Christians, what they do is they go to church on Sunday. Maybe they go Sunday evening. They've got the midweek thing, maybe a small group. Maybe they participate in a ministry or lead a ministry. And that's like what it means to follow Christ, to be a disciple of his. Whereas if we look at what Jesus did, I mean, he was going around in all their towns and villages preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he sent them out to do the same thing. And then he said it prior to his ascension, as my father sent me into the world, so I send you into the world. Like these things uh, are, are the life that we're called to. And I feel like many Christians, they don't want it. They want the evangelists not to be the equippers of the saints, but to be the few who actually do the work and just leave everybody else alone so that we can live quite frankly, like everybody else, looking for the path of upward mobility, trying to live in the nice neighborhood and, and drive the nice car and, and have all the nice material belongings, things which we will spend zero time thinking about in heaven. And so if we want to live heaven on earth, I, I feel like walking in this ministry of reconciliation is a huge part of it. I, I don't know. What do, what do you guys think about that? Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm in the middle of reading um, Ian Murray's book, Pentecost Today, and um, the idea that we... Uh, we've been promised the spirit of power and that that power <laughs> is powerful. Um, so these things are kind of heavily on my mind right now. So yeah, the idea that, that so many of us are, are content with this anemic, basic, powerless, you know, showing up to church and, and that is our Christian walk. It, it's, it's sad. Um, and, and when you start talking about living in the power of the Holy Spirit, I, I know that there are um, people um, you know, more Pentecostal that um, turn that into something weird and strange and, and contra-biblical. Um, 
but in our effort to defend against that, I think we we lose some pretty. Well, can you truths. can you define your terms? Because I I mean I was going to ask you that fellowship. I mean, are you talking about speaking in tongues and and uh, doing signs and wonders, angel angel feathers and gold dust and and rubies and jewels? Or uh, I mean, I feel like <laughs> gotta have the angel yeah, feathers. I feel like I know you pretty well, uh, so I don't think that's what you're talking yeah. about. No gold dust. <laughs> There's no gold dust. Over if there here. is, can I have uh, some? I mean, no that's, speaking. That's, in- yeah, absolutely. Come and get a, bring a shovel. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I want to be careful. I haven't fully, I have not fully defined this for myself yet, but, um, there is, um, there is a power that Christians have been given to, to walk this world. There's a power that's been given to Christians to declare the truth, to live in, in right relationship in a, in a pleasing way before God. Um, that we often limp by without, at least that's been my experience and my observation um, that we ought to be living in a much more, much more bold yeah. way. I think, uh, I think I'm in agreement with that. Eric, what do you think? I mean, the, 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 the importance of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, this transformed life that we live by the, by the grace and power of God for his glory, is that reduced to things like speaking in tongues, or, or how would you define that as a, as a pastor? Well, here's how Paul defined it. In 1 Corinthians 12, um, Paul was emphasizing spiritual gifts. He was actually, you know, it's kind of ironic because uh, that chapter is often used to make a case for you know, the importance of spiritual gifts and things. Uh, during that, during his explanation of all this, he his main point is that the church was wrong to um, want all these gifts, especially the you know like they really were wanting the gift of tongues and prophecy and things, the, the greater gifts, um, or at least those gifts, and. Uh, and Paul said, he was he was explaining that the, the church is a body made up of different parts, and uh, all these all these different parts are supposed to be working together in order for the body to function. So uh, some people think you know it's all about getting these these uh, these special gifts, these miraculous gifts. And uh, Paul was actually I think saying in First Corinthians twelve, there it's good that there's a diversity of gifts. Um, so you need to you need to you know, if you're, if everyone has the same gift, you know, that the body doesn't function as it should. But then he goes on to say, he says, um, and there's still, a, there's a more excellent way, he says. And rather than everybody striving for these particular gifts, he says, you're to strive to love one another. Love, and love is is the, the key thing. Um, but having said that, I, I, I mean, so I, I believe the Holy Spirit is irreplaceable. Without the Holy Spirit, we can't do anything that that God has called us to do. We have to have the Holy Spirit. Um, But I don't think that having the Holy Spirit, I'll say in fullness, means that you, you know, that you prophesy, that you speak in tongues. Um, I I just don't see that as, I don't see that as the evidence of the fullness of the Spirit. I see more so love. It has to be, I think, selective, selective exegesis, uh, ignoring many other passages. There there certainly are passages that talk about these things, but I'm sorry, Greg, what were you about to say? Oh, just going to talk about, you brought up spiritual gifts and, you know, service, um, hospitality, teaching, um, a little bit of backstory. Um, 
I could, I could barely read, um, until I was in, in high school. And so the idea that once saved, I'm devouring theology books, I'm not only reading, but I'm turning around and presenting and teaching and, and preaching. Um, the idea that I'm doing that by my own power is somewhat ridiculous. It's not somewhat, it's, it's quite ridiculous. Um, the idea that I could love you guys, um, or, or love, love anyone, um, aside from the power of the Holy Spirit, it it is, um, it is ridiculous. It's, it's absurd. And so while many people, and you go back to the promise in Joel two, that, that the, the spirit will be poured out and we will prophesy and dream dreams. I, I think that is, um, I think we shouldn't take that lightly, but I also think we shouldn't take lightly the, the empowering of the spirit and being filled with the spirit that, that your everyday Christian experiences and displays. And I could, I could tell you that, um, I've never seen anybody prophesy. And if I did, it would be neat, I suppose. Um, but I have experienced someone who's empowered by the Holy Spirit encouraging me, and I would rather be encouraged than hear a prophecy uh, just sure. about any day. Yeah. No, it's funny. You know, I mean, we're 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 maybe veering towards some other things, and that seems natural to me because the gospel really is, as this truth of first and foremost importance, it really does flow into everything else. And and I think a lot of times Christians think that the gospel is kind of the the entryway, and then we move on to the meat. Uh, you know, the, the gospel is maybe the milk. Um, I couldn't disagree with that more. The gospel is the most practical doctrine in all of Scripture, and if it's truly going to be this thing that we are unified under, um, then you know, okay, we are forgiven of our sins, reconciled to God. That's a big part of it. That's one of the promises that God gives us in the gospel. But then we also receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This was also promised by the Father, and so then the Holy Spirit now as he wills, he gifts individual members of the body. But when we don't understand spiritual gifts and we don't understand the purpose of the gospel and the unity that we're called to, then spiritual gifts become something that we fight over rather than something that, you know, uh, uh, unites us. And so the, the body metaphor is such a funny thing. None of us, when we woke up this morning, had to deal with the problem of our hands fighting with our feet, right? I mean, that would be a, a, a terrible disease if we had to deal with that. And yet in the body of Christ, this is happening all the time, and, and local bodies are, are torn apart because of this. And and Paul, you know, is is pleading with people: don't don't try and elevate yourself uh, above others or, or tear down others. You know, just because some ministries are more prominent, it doesn't mean that they're more important. In fact, we should give special honor to those behind the scenes ministries and those things that are you know that are are, are seemingly less. We want to make much of them because in the body of Christ, everybody's important. But the question is, what is the purpose? And the purpose isn't for us to elevate ourselves. You know, the, the purpose is that we take the direction from the head, and the head is Christ. And so every member of the body, gifted by the Spirit, um, there is a unity, not in the particular manifestation. Not everybody's a teacher. Not everybody is a, a servant. Not everybody's going to be gifted in these ways. But we are moving in a way of participating in this ministry of reconciliation. And one of the things that I've kind of used uh, for anybody who's asked me, like, what Christianity is all about, or I, I think that Galatians 5 and Romans 6, 7, and 8, these, these two places in Scripture really condense uh, what it means to be a Christian. And it's involving exactly what we're talking about, walking by the Spirit, that we are free from living for the pursuits that we once lived for, and we've been set on a new path 
in the power of God to live for something different. And by the Spirit, we put to death the deeds of the flesh. And, and what every Christian should see is not tongues and miracles and signs or whatever else. What every Christian should see is, is not just love, but certainly that, but the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Because against these things, there is no law. And I think that the fruit of the Spirit is actually one of the most misunderstood doctrines, um, simply because I almost every teaching I hear on that, it, they, they pluralize it. They say the fruits plural of the spirit are, they change the verb and then they, they, they list these things out. But Eric, as you mentioned, the gospel is one truth that is multifaceted. The fruit that grows off of the Christian tree, the fruit of the spirit is not, you know, I pull off love and joy over here and peace and patience. It's one fruit that is all of those things. And I can, I can think of many unbelievers that I know that are very loving, many unbelievers I know that are very peaceful many unbelievers who are filled with joy, um, optimistic, you know, many unbelievers who you can go down the list, but to say that we experience all of these things, that's what only the, the spirit can do. And it's not the fruit of our religious effort. And so that's the power then that's the power to live free from sin for the pursuit of the glory of God in all things. And, uh, Norman Geiser put it well, you know, our salvation, we're saved. Uh, we are saved from the penalty of our sin, uh, when we believe the gospel. And then in the present tense, we are saved by the power of God from our sin. And in the future, that glorious thing, which Greg, you were talking about, I mean, I, I certainly love thinking about that, that future day, we'll be saved from the very presence of sin. We'll, we'll dwell in a new creation where there is no taint of sin. Um, our flesh won't have any sin in it. The, the world won't have any sin in it. The devil will be completely dealt with. That'll be a beautiful, glorious thing for sure. Yeah, what we're but saved that, from and what we're saved to. Yeah, no doubt. But that that middle part about being saved from the power of sin, right? That 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 power, I think that gets into something that Eric, I've heard you talk about that that it's not just about justification, but that it does lead into this sanctification. And so, you know, as Christians, we have this power to be set free from from sin. I don't know if you'd want to maybe uh dig into that a little bit more, Eric. Yeah, you had mentioned earlier that um you you had said, you know, if if we walk by the spirit, we won't gratify the desires of the flesh. And that's, that's something that's offered in the gospel. So it, it kind of sounds like what you were saying. And I agree with this completely that the gospel is not just about being forgiven of our sins. It's about overcoming those sins in everyday life. Uh, it, it, it involves forgiveness of sins, but it's not limited to that. So um, yeah, we are, we're, we're forgiven for our sins. We're justified before God but that, what that does is it allows us to begin to run the race. It allows us to, to begin the, uh, the Christian life. Um, Paul said, uh, and I, I, I don't have my Bible in front of me, so if there's a few words that are off. Tisk tisk. Uh, you should hide it in your heart, brother. That's true. Well, I've hidden <laughs> yeah. parts of it in my heart. Um, I've hidden certain <laughs> translations of it in my heart. Uh, but, uh, but Paul said, you know, God chose us for, uh, for salvation through sanctification. He said that in, I believe it was Second uh, uh, Thessalonians, First or Second Thessalonians. And what's interesting about that is, notice the order. He says he chose us for salvation through sanctification. And many commentators, and I agree with them, they said when he when he says salvation there, he's not talking about initial salvation when you when you're first born again. What he's saying is that people who are saved. They have the opportunity then to go through this process of sanctification, and the 
the end result of that is, as some have said, final salvation. So there, so we're saved to, to, to enter into this process of sanctification, which if we are, if we're going through that process, uh, then, um, we're promised eternal life and eternal life. We have that now, but there's a, there's a future aspect of it that scripture talks about also. So I think if we're, if we're going to share the gospel, we really do need to be emphasizing the fact that you're saved. You know, you're saved when you believe Ephesians one thirteen, but belief is the beginning of the race, not the end. And we have to, mm-hmm. we have to persevere. We have to uh, persevere in, in holiness and I, I don't believe that that our holiness is, is perfected in this life, at least not in an absolute sense. Uh, but we need to be going down that path of sanctification. And uh, the writer of Hebrews said in, in Hebrews 12, 14, uh, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. And that verse is directed at believers. Would, so he's not talking about initial, initial sanctification. There. Would you guys agree with the statement that, um, you can talk about sanctification, and, and we do, um, in in a very man-centered way. Um, I'm sanctified when I stop sinning or when I sin less. Um, but there's another way we ought to be thinking about sanctification or think about it in the same way is um, being set aside by God as holy, um, that, that there is this... Um, I want to be careful, man-centered sanctification. There is a there is a process that I need to be actively involved in that we call sanctification, but there's also an idea that, it, that we have been set aside as holy. We have been sanctified that is more spirit-focused. Would, would, how would you, would you agree with that, and how would you modify it or add to it? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that fully. I know, uh, um, Eric, it looked like you were about to say something. I'll let you go, go ahead and go first. Well, um, just to give you an example, like in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul tells the church, you have been sanctified. Yes. 1 Corinthians 1, 2. But then he tells them uh, in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, uh, you need to perfect your holiness in the fear of God. So uh, there's, there's a sense in which Christians at salvation have been uh, sanctified. And I, I just take that to mean regeneration. If, if we have been, uh, we've received the Holy Spirit, we've been given a new heart with new inclinations. Then why the uh, difference in words? Like Paul Paul knew that word justified, or he knew that word regenerated. Why why do you think he chose the word sanctification instead? Rather than justification? Or, or, or I, I think you said regenerate. So I guess... I think that means more than just regenerate. I think it means more than just justified. I don't think it means less than that. Um, but I think the fact that we have been sanctified is communicating even more than just that. Well, I guess I guess my point was that he tells the Corinthians, you're, you are sanctified in, in one sense, um, but you need to you need to perfect that. It's kind of like when you get saved, you you're, you're you become a spiritual infant and then as time goes on you're to grow into for i guess just for lack of a better term a spiritual adult you're to become mature and so i think it i think that we have been sanctified in the sense that we have we have been set apart uh we've been set apart to to live the christian life peter said we have everything we need uh, for life and godliness through our knowledge of jesus christ we have what we need in the beginning of the race, 
but we, then we have to learn how to use it and how to grow into it. And that's, so I think our sanctification, are you talking about positional? Cause I think there's some um, people that look at, yeah. they look at like first Corinthians one, two is a positional sanctification. And then second Corinthians seven, one would be like a progressive type of deal. I, I guess the way I look at it when I read that text is you have been set aside as holy to God. You are a, 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 you are set aside, you are a holy people for God, you've been sanctified. And now when you say perfect your sanctification, I hear now complete it, grow in it, um, mature in it. So I don't, I don't think we're saying different things. Um, maybe we're just stressing different syllables. Well, some people would say like, some people would, would uh, say there's positional sanctification, where you're sanctified in a sense that you've been brought near to God through through faith and through regeneration. Um, but then, you know, there's, well, there's, then there's progressive sanctification, which I think Paul's talking about in second Corinthians seven, one, you know, I believe we, I believe justification, it seems to be to me, a positional type of thing where we are in right standing with God. Our position before God is, is, is a good one. We're in right standing with him. That, that I think, um, and then there is a there is a sense in which at salvation, uh, the believer is is sanctified. Um, they have been again. I think it's 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 a renewal of the nature, is, is how I see it. And, but I think that that nature needs to uh, it needs to mature. It, it, there's there's a seed there, and that seed needs to grow and become uh, become mature. So it's funny what what I say what I what I said and how you just described the positional and uh, progressive and then what you're saying there in my ears they all sound the same so if there's a difference I, i'm i'm losing the distinction a little bit but. well and, you know maybe there is I, I don't know that there really is because i think is it is it true that the believer has been set apart to god and is holy uh, is holy to god well yes that's that's the bible the bible does teach that uh, but is it is it true that that believer needs to grow in holiness yes so we both we're both in full agreement on that i think it's I think it's the maybe the the First Corinthians one two part of it that um, I think is there. Maybe I'm not sure exactly how you would define that. I mean, you did define it earlier, but um, maybe that would need to be more unpacked uh, to, to to go further with it. But I mean, it sounds maybe, like we're more or less saying the same thing. I, maybe I think, we'll have I think a, we are. A, yeah, sure. Maybe, maybe we'll have a future episode just about uh, sanctification in particular. We can uh, unpack some of those. I know that um, just as I'm listening to you guys talk, I, I think about the the shadow really of the old covenant, uh, and you know, you think about maybe some of the utensils that were sanctified. These were holy utensils that were set apart for a very particular purpose. And it's not as if these uh, tongs or, or a fork or something couldn't be used for something else, but it's it's been dedicated to a particular purpose, a holy purpose, and that's the image, that's the language that before I knew Christ, before I was reconciled to the Father through the Son and, and, and indwelt by the Spirit, I did what was right in my own eyes. I lived for my own purposes, and, and I was doing the same thing that everybody else is doing. I was um, seeking after the, the various lusts and impulses of my flesh. And then when I'm reconciled to God, I've been set apart now to live for something different, to live for not just my purposes, right? The gospel isn't about God coming into my life to empower me to be fulfilled or to, to empower me to, to attain my dreams. Um, but the gospel is about me coming into a bigger purpose that isn't self-centered, but God-centered. And so that's really kind of how you started us on this conversation. And I think that, yes, positionally, when we believe we are set apart 
But then the more we begin to understand that purpose, the more we die to the old ways of life, the old patterns of life, the more we, by the spirit, put to death the deeds of the flesh and live for this new pursuit, this, this glorious heavenly pursuit, um, then we grow in that sanctification. We become more and more conformed into the image and likeness of Christ who lived his entire life, not to suit himself, but to, to bring praise, honor, and glory to his father in heaven. And so, um, it sounds to me like you guys were in agreement. And again, maybe we can dig into the issues of sanctification in a future episode, but as we begin to kind of wind down this one, I I wanted to read one passage to you guys, because we've, we've talked about a lot of things. There's obviously so much more that could be unpacked about the goodness and the glory of the gospel. We're just, I mean, very much skimming the surface here. Uh, but uh, I, I did want to maybe just ask a, a final question um, before we kind of close out this episode of when do we cross the line of getting into another gospel and a different gospel? And I just wanted to read a brief passage from uh, the book of Galatians chapter 1, uh, verses 6 through 9. Paul's talking about the importance of the gospel. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But if, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. Uh, there's a number of observations that could be made about this passage. Um, Turning away from the gospel is turning away from him, turning away from God who called you by the grace of, of Christ uh, to something else. And so there is, quote unquote, the gospel, and then there's anything else, something that sometimes people call gospels. How much are we able to drift or change or leave out, omit? How much are we able to change before we veer into that territory of another gospel, in your guys' opinion? In Galatians 1, we're Paul says they, they've embraced a different gospel. He's talking specifically about the gospel of justification through the works of the law. And that's what the rest of the book of Galatians is about. Uh, they, had, they had begun the Christian race well, Paul said. They had believed in justification through faith. They received the Holy Spirit. Uh, but then they were deceived by the, I'm assuming, the Judaizers, who said that, well, you know, you, you have to you have to follow the law. Also, you have to you have to be circumcised. You have to keep Jewish holy days. Uh, you have to basically you have to embrace Jewish culture in a way. And so it was not just justification through faith; it was justification through jumping through these religious hoops in order to be right with God. So in in that particular passage, that's what Paul was was addressing. I'm actually going through the book of Galatians Sunday morning. So I have an advantage uh, in this. In this, I question. knew that you you yeah. quoted the parable of the hidden treasure. I thought maybe you were listening in on my sermons. I preached that last Sunday, so I figured oh, I'd I uh, throw that. yeah throw throw you something that you were in there. But uh, Greg, what what about what do you think? How how much yeah. can we get wrong, or how much can we change before it's another gospel? I think anything that that takes the gospel away from a Christocentric by grace alone through faith alone. Um, you quickly exponentially start building into into dangerous territory. Now, I, I think we could write a number of books on this subject. What you know, by what extent? But I think the moment you start to remove it from Christ and put it to anything else, put it to yourself, put it to religiosity, put it to um, some other sacrifice. Um, yeah, Christocentric by faith alone, through grace alone, or through faith by grace. 
So I, I'm in agreement, uh, so I'll, I'll make that clarifying point at the beginning. Um, but I know that there are some who would say, well, okay, so, so works then have nothing to do with it. How does that then apply to the conversation we were just having about the necessity of sanctification and the importance of, of really producing fruit or, or being changed? Uh, we don't want to completely forget about works. Uh, and certainly they don't justify, but there are many who say that the grace of God, you know, they, they, come, they come to every single meeting and they're still beset by the same sin. They're, they're, they're living um, completely defeated, completely still enslaved to the various lusts and impulses of their flesh. Um, they have no victory whatsoever. And they say that's the gospel. They say that that's grace because although they wallow in the muck and the mire um, and like a dog returning to its vomit, they do that and yet they get to go to heaven when they die. H- how would you respond to somebody who takes works out completely from the idea of the gospel. So, you know, I started the conversation with how I taught my kids, you know, God, me, Christ, the spirit, or, or sometimes I'll say, therefore, um, the therefore comes at the end, the therefore go and live like this. Um, but we, we shouldn't get the therefore in front of the, the God, me, Christ, especially not in front of the Christ. Um, the therefore, the go and live by the power of the Holy Spirit, free from sin, living uh, in a way that's pleasing and approved by God, is the result, the the necessary result of the work of atonement, of the work of justification, of of being sanctified, being set apart as holy. Yeah, I um, I, I would, I think, just probably uh, state it. Uh, not in a contradictory way, but just in a way that's totally consistent with what you said. Paul says in Romans 1, 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. And I kind of like a little bit how the NIV words this because uh, it's just, I think, more straightforward. I'm reading out of the NASB, but the NIV says the obedience that comes from faith. Faith produces faithfulness. And actually, the two words are synonymous. And in, in I think it's they both come from the same Greek word. It's, it's the same it's the same thing. So faith leads to faithfulness. If I have faith in Jesus Christ, if I am submitted to his lordship, then that means I, I follow him as Lord. I do what he says. Um, I strive to, to live for him. Now, uh, I, I think it's just not enough just to say that because then people might ask, well, you know, how, how obedient are we talking here? Uh, because obviously the word obedience can mean different things to different people. And what I would say, I would, I think Galatians chapter three is really, really helpful here. Notice Paul says, he says in uh, Galatians three ten for as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse for it is written. Here's why they're cursed. Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. So Paul says, if you want to be justified by the law, okay, go for it, but here's what you have to do. You have to follow the law absolutely perfectly. And if you fall short, then you're not justified by it. Paul goes on to say this, now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, why? For the righteous man shall live by faith. Now notice the contrast. The contrast is Galatians 3.10 Justification by the law, absolute perfection. But Paul says, but just but justification by faith is different because faith doesn't involve absolute perfection. It's, that's not the kind of obedience that's that's talked about. It's it's just it's faithfulness. It's a life of faith. A, as you said, Joe, it's it's a pattern of life, 
a life. And I think where... the point. I think the point that you're making is the same point that James makes. You know, faith without works is dead. Um, More or less. Yeah. You yep. you will always live. You'll always walk. You'll always act according to your beliefs. What you believe. Um, and so, uh, if we, if we say we have faith but we don't have works, um, our our faith is is empty. So you don't view him as contradicting Paul? Uh, yeah, absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah, me either. I know some people do. They want to make uh, Paul and, and James fighting with each other. I, I think that they're expressing the same truth from uh, uh, really the different side of the coin. Are we justified by our works? By no means. If we are justified, will works follow? Uh, you better believe it. And if they don't, um, maybe you're in danger of being one of those Matthew 7 type of folks who think that you are a Christian, but really aren't. And and I don't say that to, to condemn anybody. I'm not the judge, but the passages like that really send a, a chill down my spine. I don't want to think that I have something that I don't. And Work out your salvation in fear, with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. That's right. I mean, Paul says, examine yourself, see if you're in the faith, you know, unless you fail the test. I mean, is Jesus Christ in you? And so that's why, you know, the, the, the test of, you know, do you speak in tongues? Well, the Bible says not everyone does that. And Paul explicitly says that. But is the fruit of the Spirit evident in your life? That, that is something that we ought to see. Are, are we living in obedience to God, in particular in the, the ministry of reconciliation? This is a, this is a question that, um, that is important. How can we say that we love God? How can we say that we love people who are made in the image of God if we don't participate in any way in trying to bring God glory by proclaiming to people the good news that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, among whom I'm the worst. And so if God can save a, uh, an idiot like me, he can save anybody. And I don't want to delight in their condemnation because God doesn't delight in the destruction of the wicked, but that he delights that the, the wicked would turn from their way and live. And so God desires to put to death the enmity. That's the good news of the gospel is that God has put to death the enmity at the cross, and all who believe they can receive this beautiful promise of justification and a future hope in heaven and power uh, to live a righteous life now, something that, again, doesn't just get downloaded immediately, but something that we have to grow in. Uh, but all of these things are good things. And, you know, I, I was kind of convicted um, just as I, I go out into the world witnessing, I used to just focus on unbelievers and try and get them to believe in Jesus. But now I, I realize how much time really should be spent talking to Christians um, to see, you know, does the fruit of their life actually match the profession or you know, I mean, nowhere in the Bible do I read that, you know, if you're a Christian, the fruit of the Spirit is that you attend church most Sundays as long as there isn't like a, an important football game on or, or some uh, fun day at the beach planned or something, right? That's not that's not the fruit of Christianity. So um, anyway, I, I think we'll uh, go ahead and end the conversation there. I appreciate your guys' perspective, unless any of you guys got any burning last uh, words of wisdom or something to share before we sign off for this time. Well, I'd just say the application is, therefore, repent, believe, and and rejoice. Um, you know, God has done an amazing thing for you. Don't let it pass by. Grab onto it. Grab on to Christ. Hold on. Abide in Christ um, and receive every promise that he's He's given you. Yeah, amen. Eric, you got any uh, final final words or thoughts for us before we say goodbye for today? Uh, I think I think Greg's words were right on, and, and I just say amen to that. Yeah, well, I say amen as well. And so uh, if, again, you're watching, if you got value from this, uh, think about giving us a thumbs up. Uh, leave your comments below. We'd love to hear what you think about this discussion today. And until next time, get equipped, obey your king, glorify your God.